Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. Isaiah 43:19 quickly became a focus verse for the pastor search committee as we embarked on this journey to find God's man for Moberly in October of 2020. As the committee met and prayed through many decisions regarding candidates, God sovereignly guided each step of this process. In January of 2021, our church came together for a time of fasting and prayer. During that time, we prayed that we would wait patiently on God's timing and settle for nothing less than His perfect will. We asked God together for His mercy in giving us a true man of God, a humble shepherd, and a servant leader. Our God was listening to the cries of His people. The committee moved forward, trusting God's perfect provision and timing and guidance, encouraged by the promise that God was doing something new. In May of this year, the committee shifted their approach and our church family entered another time of prayer and fasting together. We focused on Colossians 1.9, asking God to fill us with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. We asked God to bring us a man who would love our people, who would inspire us to pursue Christ through His preaching, who would humbly lead our staff, who has a passion to make disciples and would be a fit for Moberly. God cleared a path forward with one unique candidate. Let's praise God together today for His wonderful faithfulness and goodness in answering the prayers of our church family. The Pastor Search Committee strongly believes this candidate embodies all of the qualities and character of a lead pastor that we as a church have been so earnestly asking God for over the last two years. Praise God with me and please welcome Dr. Andrew Abair, as he preaches this morning in view of a call to Moberly Baptist Church. Well, good morning, Moberly. It is wonderful to be with you today. We have been looking forward to this day with excitement and anticipation of what God will do. And uh, Amy and I have been praying over you, actually not just me and Amy, but all of our, uh, our whole crew has been praying for you over these weeks and been looking forward to the first time that we have uh, to worship with you. And I'll just tell you, that choir and orchestra and worship team, they gave me goosebumps. And I think I broke out in a sweat there singing, uh, just enjoying that. Wow. So it is wonderful uh, to be with you and to worship uh, with you uh, together this morning. Um, we are so glad to be here. We have felt so warmly welcomed. Uh, by all of you. And uh, I just want to thank you for making us feel so welcomed. We can tell uh, that you are going to be easy to love. And we are looking forward to getting to know you in, in coming days. Before we dive into God's word, I wanna just take a moment and recognize a few people. Uh, first of all, I just wanna recognize my wife, Amy, and ask her to stand once more uh, so that you can see her. And <clears throat> I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful for a godly woman who represents Jesus well in our home and our family. And I would not be here today and I wouldn't be who I am today if it wasn't for Amy. And I'm so thankful for each of my four children and God has just blessed us incredibly with amazing kids. I also have my in-laws with me today. Stuart and Nancy, if you would stand up to where we can recognize you. And they live in College Station, they are Aggies and uh, I'm a Longhorn fan. 
and they retired and moved back to the mothership. So uh, anyway, but they're here this weekend helping with the kids and so thankful for both of you. Thank you uh, for, for helping us this weekend. And I wanna take a moment and ask our pastor search committee to stand so that we can recognize and honor them. Would you guys stand up and let's give them a hand as well. And let me just tell you that they have represented Moberly Baptist Church so well um, from the, the first interaction all the way to this morning. Um, they have just exhibited Christ-likeness and represented this church family so well. And they have labored uh, diligently for, for so long and have been sensitive and submitted to the Spirit and uh, the Spirit's guidance in this process. And so you should be very proud of the work that they have done. One final group of people that I want to uh, recognize is uh, the church staff here at Moberly who have continued to lead so faithfully through the interim period. And if you're a staff member, would you just stand so that we can recognize and thank you? And I'm looking forward to, to serving with you. Now, if you have a Bible with you, I'm going to invite you to take it and open up to the Gospel of Luke. And we're going to be in Luke chapter 10, uh, verses 38 through 42 this morning. You can always expect that we're going to open our Bibles each and every Sunday morning. I'm going to teach verse by verse through a text together. And my goal week after week is simply to make much of Jesus, to teach the Word of God, and to encourage the people of God. So that's what we're going to do as we look at Luke chapter 10 uh, this morning. It's tempting on a day like today. It's an exciting day. It signals a, a new chapter in the life of Moberly Baptist Church. And it's tempting on a day like today to preach a sermon that focuses on all of the great big things that we're going to do together. All of the goals and the exciting initiatives to cast a big vision for what we're going to accomplish together. But this morning, I want to do something a little bit different. Instead of talking about what we are going to do, I want to speak for a few moments about who God has called us to be. And I want to just simply communicate this morning that who you are called to be with Jesus matters more than what you do for Jesus. In other words, who you are on the inside uh, comes first. Your inner life matters more than your outer life because what you do actually flows from who you are. Being comes before doing. Isn't this what Jesus himself taught? For instance, in Mark chapter 7, where he says, it's not the things that come into a person that defile them, but what comes out of them. Or in Matthew chapter 12 and verse 34, where he says that the, from the, the, uh, the, the mouth speaks from the overflow of the what? the heart, right? So being comes before doing. Who you are matters more than what you do. Now, it, it may not be as exciting to talk about being as it is to talk about doing, because frankly, we like things that we can measure and quantify, things that we especially can manage. And talking about who we are is much more difficult to measure and to manage than what we do. But make no mistake, who you are with Jesus is much more important than you might think. 
So we're going to look at a very familiar story from the Gospel of Luke, a story you're probably all familiar with, a story about two sisters named Mary and Martha. And I just want to point out a couple of things about this story and then draw one simple conclusion that I think is really important for us to think about this morning, especially on a day like today. So let's look, turn our attention to Luke chapter 10. I'm going to begin reading in verse 38. It says, while they were traveling, Jesus entered a village And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. And she had a sister named Mary who also sat at the Lord's feet and was listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by her many tasks. She came up and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to serve alone? So tell her to give me a hand. All right, let's just stop right there. This, this story, of course, is built around a contrast between two sisters, Mary and Martha, and how they relate to Jesus. Now, we're introduced, first of all, to Martha. In, in verse 38, we're told in the text that as Jesus is traveling, he enters a village, and a woman named Martha comes out and welcomes him into her home. Now, Martha, we, we don't know a lot about Martha, but it's, it's likely that she's the oldest of the two sisters because it says that the home belongs to her. She instantly becomes busy hosting Jesus. Can you imagine if Jesus walked up into your neighborhood and said, kind of like he did to Zacchaeus, I'm going to your house today. I imagine some of us would rush back into the house, start picking up all the things. What are we going to prepare? What are we going to cook? How are we going to host him? And so she instantly becomes busy hosting Jesus. Verse 40 says that she had many tasks and uh, she is beginning to serve Jesus. The word that's used in verse 40 for serve is the word where we get the word deacon. It's exactly the same word. It means one who serves tables. And so what's likely in view here is that Martha is beginning to go about serving a table. She's preparing a meal for Jesus. So picture here, Martha, a responsible older sister who immediately sets about the task of hosting the most important guest she's ever hosted in her home. Then we're introduced to to Mary, the the other sibling. We don't know a lot about her either, but it's it's probable that she's the younger sister. In verse 39, it says that when Jesus came into the home, Mary, instead of helping Martha to prepare the meal and do all of the busy tasks, instead, Mary sits down at Jesus' feet. And the text tells us that she is listening to what he says. Now, what was Jesus saying? Well, the text doesn't tell us. We're not told. But, but we know that Jesus was a master storyteller. Um, there was a generation of uh, people, unfortunately, it's kind of becoming a bygone era of great storytellers. Some of you remember Garrison Keillor, who would come on the radio and tell great stories. And I had a grandfather like that. My, my uh, mother's father, who uh, lived in Kilgore for a period of time in West Texas and was an oil man and uh, drove 18-wheelers and, and that kind of thing, he was great at spinning a yarn. And I remember as a kid sitting and listening to my grandfather and my great uncle sit around and tell stories. And the great thing about their stories is that you never really knew if they were telling the truth or not. And in fact, I remember one story uh, that my granddad told me about the time he drove his 18-wheeler into hell, which I was convinced was not true until I actually saw a newspaper clipping that proved that it was true. What happened is that he was driving his 18-wheeler, fell asleep drove into a Shell gas station, knocked the S off of the sign, it caused a fire, and we have a newspaper clipping of a picture of my granddad's 18-wheeler truck in hell, flames all around. (laughs) Jesus was a great storyteller. 
And I love the the stories that we have about Jesus. I love the stories that Jesus tells. And, And maybe here Jesus is just telling Mary about what's been happening. Maybe he's telling her the story about how he fed 5,000 people with just a few fish and loaves. Or maybe he's telling her about the time that he calmed the stormy sea with just a word. Maybe the time that he raised the dead girl back to life. Or maybe the scary story about that garrison demoniac that he cast the demon out. We don't really know. He might be telling a parable. He liked to tell those. I like to think that Jesus was maybe practicing a story that he would tell just a few chapters later in Luke's gospel about another set of siblings, one older, one younger, and their father. We don't know what Jesus was saying, just that Mary is sitting and listening to him. Now, in verse 40, the focus shifts back to Martha, and we see here a conflict arises. So look down at verse 40. We see a couple of things about Martha. First, while Mary is over here sitting at Jesus' feet listening to him, the text tells us that Martha was distracted with her many tasks. Martha was distracted. Let's say that word together, distracted. But she's distracted with something worthy. I mean, she's distracted with tasks that are being accomplished in order to host and to serve Jesus. So she's very busy with good things, in other words. But the text tells us beyond that, we also see that that Martha is frustrated because it says that she comes up to Jesus and says, don't you care that my sister has left me alone to serve? Tell her to give me a hand. Now, how many of you would just be willing to be honest this morning and say you can totally feel what Martha's feeling in this moment? Anybody be honest? I mean, It's easy to understand Martha's perspective here. I mean, have you ever been working? You're sweating, you're laboring, you're doing something, and you look over and somebody's just sitting there on the couch? Ladies, don't look at your husbands, okay? (laughs) Stop stop poking his ribs, all right? We we love to host a lot of people in our home. Always people are in and out of our home. uh, But before they come over, Amy and I are running around uh, trying to make it look like our house is not occupied by four kids, three dogs, and five goldfish. How frustrating would it be if somebody was going to come over and Amy's cooking a meal and trying to get the house cleaned up and trying to keep the the kids at bay and I'm just sitting on the couch watching an Astros game? That'd be super frustrating. So I can sympathize with Martha. She isn't asking for much. She's not being demanding. She's just saying, Jesus, tell Mary to give me a little help. I need a hand. Let's stop for a moment and just ask this question. Mary and Martha... Which sister is in the right? And part of me wants to say, Martha. I mean, it seems, at least from her perspective, that Mary is over here being a lazy younger sister, just sitting there. And like, if you really love Jesus, why don't you get up and do something? Why don't you actually help me? I'm the one who actually serving Jesus. I'm the one who actually loves Jesus. And here's the proof. The proof's in the pudding. Look at all the work I'm doing for him. So there's part of me that says, well, maybe Martha's the doing the right thing here. Some scholars have pointed out about this story that they believe that Mary and Martha represent two equally legitimate aspects of the Christian life. Mary represents inward devotion. The Bible's word for this is abiding. She just sort of represents that that aspect of the Christian life where you're, you're with Jesus and you're just, you love him and you're spending time with him, that devotional life. And 
And then on the other hand, you have Martha, who represents the practical service, the activity of the Christian life, our work for Jesus. And so some scholars teach this passage by saying, hey, whether you're a Mary or a Martha, each of you love Jesus in your own unique ways. Both of them are equally legitimate. Let's see what Jesus says, though. I want you to notice a conclusion that Jesus draws in verses 41 and 42 about this whole situation. Look in verse 41. The Lord answered Martha, right? She's made this request. Tell tell my lazy younger sister to get up and help. Verse 41, the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha. I love the way he says that. Martha, Martha. You are worried and upset about many things. But notice this, one thing is necessary. Let's say that phrase together. One thing is necessary. Notice the word necessary. Mary has made the right choice and it will not be taken away from her. What Jesus is simply saying is this, Martha, you're focused on many things, many good things, but there's only one necessary thing and Mary has figured it out. Here's what Jesus is saying and here's why I think that Luke actually includes this little story in his gospel. I think the point of this story If you're only going to remember one thing from the sermon, remember this. The point of the story is that your intimacy with Jesus matters more than your busyness for Jesus. Let me say that again. Your intimacy with Jesus matters more than your busyness for Jesus. Dallas Willard, who is a philosophy professor in California, said the greatest enemy of intimacy with God is service to God. Now, I don't know about you, but the first time I read that, that didn't hit quite right. The greatest enemy of intimacy with God is service to God. Can, can he be right there? Well, I want you to, to just know that there is all the difference in the world between activity for Jesus and abiding with Jesus. Being busy with activity, even good, noble, religious activity, even activity rendered in service to Jesus is different than being with Jesus. You know, Jesus used the word in John 15, abide. Abide means to to remain with, to dwell with, to stay with, to be with, and to abide with Jesus is what Jesus himself wants for us. And there's all the difference in the world between abiding and activity. Religious activity has the illusion of worship, but activity is not the same as worship. I mean, just look at the contrast here between Mary and Martha. Mary sitting there at the feet of Jesus, paying attention to Jesus, listening to his words, but Martha is so busy with good activity that she is distracted from Jesus. And look at her attitude. She says, Jesus, don't you care? Notice what's happening here. She is questioning the character of Jesus at this point. She is questioning his goodness. She has become so busy with good activity that she doesn't even realize what she's doing. She's questioning the very goodness of God. And then she goes beyond that. She says, tell her to help me. (laughs) You see what's happening here? She's so preoccupied with her tasks in service to Jesus that she begins not only to question Jesus' goodness, but she proceeds to begin to tell Jesus what to say. 
Notice the contrast there. Mary listening to what Jesus is saying. Martha telling Jesus what to say. Mary's attention on Jesus. Martha's attention is all on herself. And that shows us, folks, that religious activity does not equal spiritual maturity. And in fact, it can disguise spiritual coldness. In fact, it's a pretty good disguise. If you look from the outside, if somebody looks at your life and they see that you're at church three times a week and you're teaching a Sunday school class and and on the outside everything looks good, that is not necessarily an indicator of what's true on the inside. And it can actually be a mask for spiritual immaturity and spiritual coldness. It's actually easy to mask it. I read an author recently who suggested that the greatest threat to faith today is not atheism or agnosticism or even secularism, it's distraction. That's a good place for an ouch, oh me, oh my. By the way, I like it when people talk back to me when I preach. So it's a dialogue. I welcome that, okay? If anytime you hear something that you like, you can holler, okay? Or say amen. Distraction. We are so distracted with busyness that we have no time to pay attention to God, to lean into his presence, to practice intimacy in our walk with him. Isn't it true? We are so busy in our culture. When you think about it, you're going to wake up tomorrow morning at the crack of dawn. You're going to go to work. You're going to work hard all day. You're going to have all of these tasks. You're going to rush home, try to prepare dinner, try to get the kids to their game, come back late at night exhausted. Maybe you're so exhausted, you're just going to flip on the TV. Meanwhile, you have this thing buzzing in your hand all day, and you're so distracted, you're not even aware of God's presence in your life. You can't pay attention to to his presence in and around and through you. And so distraction is an enemy of intimacy. And it's interesting, Jesus, there's a really interesting verse in Mark chapter 3 and verse 14, which describes Jesus calling the disciples to himself. He's calling the 12 to come and follow him. And he gives them three instructions. He uses three infinitives in that that verse. He he calls them, the the, the, two of them are very exciting. Um, He calls them to be able to cast out demons. How cool is that? That's pretty awesome. I want you to come and follow me and you're going to cast out some demons. Cool. Number two, to preach the gospel. Now, I'm a little partial to that, but I think that's pretty cool too. These are exciting things. You're going to follow me. You're going to cast out demons. You're going to preach the gospel. But then there's this little third infinitive, and it's the one that doesn't get much press, but it's actually the first in priority. He calls them to be with him, to be with him. Jesus doesn't want you to be preoccupied with religious tasks. He wants you to be preoccupied with him. Thank you. You're learning. (laughs) Who was that? All right. He wants you to sit at his feet like Mary, to pay attention to his word. And by the way, what does this tell us about the kind of God we serve? That the kind of God we serve is the kind of God who does not demand your work. He demands your worship. This is the the essence of the gospel that we believe, right? I mean, the, the good news about Jesus is the fact that Jesus has done the work for us, right? The difference between Christianity and every other religion in the world is just two simple letters. Every religion in the world is oriented around the letters D-O. It's all about what you 
do. It's your labor. It's your work. It's your effort. If God is going to be pleased with you, then you better perform. And so we get these lists of do's and don'ts, right? I grew up in in one of those kind of legalistic, uh, independent, fundamental Baptist backgrounds where you have to do all the right stuff and don't do all the, the wrong stuff. And if you do all the right stuff, then you'll sort of get a good report card with God and he'll be very pleased with you because of your performance. Just don't do the wrong stuff, right? Don't drink, don't chew, don't go with the girls who do. And if you, and if you, if you do all the do's and don't do all the don'ts and you perform really well and you work really, really hard, then maybe God at the end of at the end of your life, maybe the, the scales, the good part of the scale, outweigh the bad part of the scale, and God will be pleased with you. And that is so far from the gospel. Because the gospel is not about what you do, it's about what Christ has done for you. And there's all the difference in the world between those two little letters. The gospel is that there is not ever enough that you can ever do in a million lifetimes to please God. But God loved you so much, he sent his son to do all the work for you. That, that it was his performance, not your performance, that made you pleasing to God. That because of Jesus' achievement, that you don't, you don't perform, but you receive. It's because of his work that he accomplished by living a perfectly obedient life, where none of us could be perfectly obedient. By dying a sacrificial death on the cross to pay the penalty for our disobedience. And then rising victoriously on the third day from the grave with the offer of forgiveness and new life in his hands that can make us new and give us the Holy Spirit and, and give us a brand new start. All of that is done by Jesus for you, not done by you for Jesus. And it is, it is the difference between, uh, you know, a push lawnmower and a riding lawnmower. Now, here in East Texas, you have nice yards with grass. You should be thankful for that. Not every part of Texas, just going to put it this way, not every part of Texas is blessed with all the green. When I, I, I don't have a riding lawnmower because I don't have much grass, I push a push mower. A push mower is all about your effort, right? You, you got to push that thing. You got to work. You got to labor. It's all about what you do with your own two hands. And so much of religion is about that. But relationship with Jesus is like a riding lawnmower. It does all the work. You just go along for the ride. You get to almost rest. You can take a nap. You can read the newspaper. You can get a suntan. And it's easy. And, and that's the gospel. It's something that Jesus achieves and we receive and we rest in it. And we, we are called to respond to the good news of what Jesus has done simply with our worship. By loving him, being with him, having intimacy in our relationship with God. That's what God wants for you. He wants a deep love relationship with you. And... <clears throat> Focusing on intimacy with Jesus and being with Jesus, that's maybe not natural for some of us because we're, we're achievers. Like it's in our blood from the time we're, you know, little children. You go to school, you work hard, you get good grades so that you can, you know, get the honor student thing, whatever. And I was homeschooled, so I was the best student in my class <laughs> and the worst student in my class. Graduated at the top of my class, as a matter of fact. But you go to school, you get the honor student thing, and you make good grades, and then you go to high school, you get good grades, so you can get a, a scholarship in college, and you work real hard so you can get a good job, and then you work real hard at the job so you can get the promotion, so you can get the new house, and all this stuff, and it's just like exhausting. And, but that's, it's bred in us to achieve, to work. Sometimes we have this approach in our relationships. In my relationship with Amy, one of, one of my love languages 
is gifts. So if I wanna express to Amy how much I love her, it's like, let me, let me buy you something. Let me spend all this money to show you how much I love you. And, and some of you have uh, the love language of service. So it's like, if you wanna show your wife that you love her, you're washing the dishes or, or you're folding the clothes. And it's like, let me, let me do something to just prove to you that I love you. Amy's love language uh, took a while for me to learn. It's quality time. And, and for Amy, she would rather me just be with her doing nothing than to receive a nice gift or, or anything else. And I realized much too late, I could have saved a lot of money that way if I would have known that. <laughs> she, she didn't want the expensive diamond necklace. She'd like to just get on some bicycles and go ride around the park. But <clears throat> folks, maybe what God just wants to say to you this morning, if we can just kind of simplify the spiritual expectations that God has for you, we, we have this tendency to sort of run around like chickens with our heads cut off, cut off and just busy ourselves with all of this activity. And maybe the Lord just wants to say to you this morning, I just want you to be with me. And what's true about marriage can also be true about our relationship with Christ, that activity can actually become the enemy of intimacy. You can be so busy, Amy and I could be so busy with all the stuff that we don't ever have time to spend together. And that's a temptation in the first or second year of a new pastorate to come in kind of guns a-blazing and work real hard and try to achieve all this stuff. But what if instead we just seek to sit at the feet of Jesus together? What would church look like if we just sought to do that? You might say, well, <clears throat> pastor, does that mean that activity, that doing things is unimportant? Well, not at all. In fact, quite the opposite. In fact, I want you to notice something about this text and where it's located in Luke's gospel. And I'm not going to preach this story, I promise. But if you just look at the context of this Mary Martha story, just take a look. Somebody shouted out to me, what comes right before this story? It's the story of the good Samaritan. And notice how, good job, guys. Um, notice in verse 37, I promise I'm not going to preach this story, but just look at what Jesus says at the conclusion of the story about the Good Samaritan, right? Which is all about what you do. It's about loving your neighbor. It's about going across the aisle, going to serve someone who's not like you, all of these different types of things. And notice what Jesus says at the end of verse 37, go and do likewise, go and do. So you're like, pastor, did you even read the context of this story? I mean, here Jesus is telling people to go do something. Well, it's not that doing things is unimportant. Spiritual activity is very important. But the point I'm making is that abiding with Jesus is the thing before the other things. It's the most important thing. Abiding leads to activity. But activity that's divorced from abiding is not worship. Spending time with Jesus is the most important thing, and it leads to all the other things. And it may not look like much from the outside looking in, but there's something powerful that happens when you focus on abiding with Jesus, your intimacy with him. Uh, if you've ever washed dishes by hand, then you know what I'm talking about. My, our first apartment in downtown Dallas, we didn't have a dishwasher, so that meant that Amy and I were the dishwashers. And if you eat a dinner and you got food on the plate and you leave it overnight, you're only going to make that mistake one time because you wake up the next morning and that food is like hard as concrete on that plate. If you don't have a dishwasher, then you're gonna, you're gonna try to scrub that off and maybe it's not working, it's not coming off, so you're gonna scrub really, really, really hard to get that food off and it's not coming off the, the plate at all, right? So what do you have to do? You fill up the sink with hot water 
And then you put the plate in there and you let it soak. Doesn't look like much is happening, does it? Um, it's not very measurable or quantifiable or even manageable, which is what we like to do. It's just sitting there, soaking. But it's something powerful is happening in that soaking. The, the rough edges are being worn down. The, the hardness is being softened. And there's something powerful that activity can't do. Only soaking can do. Spending time with Jesus may not look like much from the outside. Somebody walks in on you and you're praying. It's going to look like you're doing nothing at all. Actually, something very powerful is happening that you can't see. You know, if you go down to my hometown, Houston, there are a lot of bayous down there, and sometimes you look at the water and everything on top is still. But underneath, there's sometimes an undercurrent that is very powerful. It can actually suck you down into the water. And abiding with Jesus is like that. It may not look like much from the outside, but there's something very powerful that's happening. And Jesus himself said this in John 15 when he said, I'm the vine. You're the branches. Abide in me and I in you and you will produce much fruit. You see, it's the thing before the other things. And so... Folks, we're going to do a lot together. If the Lord finalizes our call here tonight, there will be many activities that will happen. That's not going to be the problem, right? There are going to be lots of activities that will happen. There will be many things that God will call us to do together. I, I believe that God will, at Moberly Baptist Church, unleash a great commission engine. I think that Moberly Baptist Church is going to be a, a church that gives every person in East Texas a chance to hear and respond to the gospel of Jesus. We will be a church that is laser focused on helping people grow into greater maturity in their walk with Christ. We will be a church that reaches East Texas and around the world through church planting and church revitalization and caring for pastors who are burnt out and, and missions and all of those things. But before any of that, I pray that we would be a church that loves Jesus deeply and walks intimately with him. Who, who must we be? We must be people who walk intimately with Jesus, and everything that we do flows from that. Amen? So what would it look like this morning, maybe just to pause? Maybe to say no to an activity, maybe even a good, noble activity, so that you can say yes to Jesus? What would it look like maybe to stop saying anything at all and just sit and listen to what he says? How do you do that? Well, you get alone with God. You go talk to him. You bring your Bible. You open it up. You begin to read it. And all of a sudden, you're sitting next to Mary at the feet of Jesus, listening to what he says. Let's pray together. Lord, how grateful we are for who you are. Jesus, you tell us to take your yoke because it is gentle and easy and your burden is light. So we thank you.
We're thankful that you do the work. Help us to rest in it. Help us to rejoice in it. Help us to receive it and be thankful for it. Lord, I pray that this church would be marked by people who are deeply in love with you. It's only power possible through your spirit. So Holy Spirit, come and do the work that we cannot produce. We cannot manipulate or manufacture it. Holy Spirit, only you can do that. So we invite your presence in this room. And we pray it in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.